And we're in the second part of Roots of Our Faith. I would encourage you to just take out your outlines because, you know what? I think today across the church, there's not enough doctrine taught. There really isn't. People are drifting from their roots. They're becoming unanchored. In fact, making this very practical, talking about roots, growing up, one of the jobs I absolutely detested at our place, hated, was weeding. Does anybody say amen? <laughs> good, that's good. Now, my mum had, an, in those days, a quarter-acre section. And she loved to have a tidy property, which meant lots of weeding. But no, 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 no. We didn't have easy weeds. We had weeds from hell. Those roots went right the way down to hell because we're very hard to get at, the satanic type. Anyway, I used to, because I was the oldest, be assigned also the hedge whilst the brothers were supposed to be weeding. I was quite happy about that until I looked over one day when I was cutting the hedge and I saw my brother Mike doing a quick and nasty way of getting rid of the weeds. When mum wasn't watching, you know what he'd do? He'd, with his foot, he'd kick the heads off him and then quickly dig a little bit around, and it looks like they're gone. <laughs> However, what mother quickly caught on to is three weeks later, why were the weeds back in exactly the same spot? <laughs> Mike was actually creating more work. This series is specifically talking about the roots, though, of your faith. Even though you go through tough times, you hang on tight. And if you think about it, roots provide nourishment and they provide health to the plant. They provide stability through tough times. And roots, my friends, are absolutely essential to last the course through the seasons of life. The, poor, the Apostle Paul talks about this first verse on your outline and on the screen. Colossians 2.7 says, let your roots grow down into, into what? Into him. Not into your investments, not into your education, because I tell you what, it doesn't matter how much education you get, the more education you get, the more you know you don't know. Isn't that right, Jacques? You become humble, because you realize there's so much to know. And that's why he's so thankful for God, who's omniscient, knows everything. Let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him. So you will grow in your faith strong, I love this, vigorous in the truth. There is so much today that's peddled as, as the pop, in the pop culture. But it is not the truth. It will disappoint. It will let you down. If you believe a truth, you end up in a mess. So, so that you will grow in faith, strong and vigorous in the truth that you were taught. There's a problem. Have you been taught the basic truths in the Word of God? Last night, I, I caught myself so enamored in this theological talk. I was having a shave listening to it on my iPhone because there's not enough time, right, to read and stuff like that. So, Take whatever sources of learning you've got and use them. When you're in the car, most of you spend at least 10 hours a week in the car. Minimum. Use that time to educate yourself in the 
It says, add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. So adding to your faith is knowledge. It is incredibly important to do the work to grow in your faith. Let your lives then overflow with thanksgiving because you'll learn that all that he's done. So, and that's what I want for you, that you'll be vigorous in the truth, not seduced by lies. I want your faith to grow strong. That your life will overflow with the joy that Jesus has done for you. So last week, we talked about three different types of root systems in this series. We talked last week about creeds, we talked about confessions, and we talked about catechisms. This week, it's a very famous root system that you may have heard about called the Nicene Creed. Now here's a historical context. The Nicene Creed was written to counteract heresy. That means if you have the Orthodox Christianity, anything that, that falls away from one of the 14 essentials of the faith, anything that deviates that is he- from that is heresy. And there were some arguments that were starting to arise in the early church. The picture is Constantine the emperor, well he was the emperor of Rome at the time, he was experiencing a lot of political success. In fact, what he did is he sent his mother to go and buy up all of the particular places where Jesus, that was significant for Christians, because he was the emperor and he had lots of money. And so he went and bought up all the various places, went back and talked to people, even like the, um, uh, near the, the Dome of the Rock there, and the place of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. His mother went back and said, well, where was Jesus actually buried? Where was the thing? And they said, well, somewhere under there. There was a, 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 um, a, a non-Christian mosque on the top of it. So she bought it because she's the emperor. They took all of off, and sure enough, that's today where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is. So they went right the way back. So Constantine had lots of political success. There was governmental unity in every area, but there were problems coming in the church. The church was being divided, and Constantine didn't want that. So what he did is he brought together all of the major church leaders in Nicaea, which is now Turkey, to talk about these issues. Now, a council wasn't unusual because, as you know, in Acts, was it, 15, there was a council of Jerusalem. And they gathered together in Nicaea to discuss what? What was under dispute. And that was the nature of Jesus. The nature of Jesus. So this is why it was written. The reason this is important, listen carefully. Listen very carefully to this. If Jesus was not God, then he couldn't have been perfect. Impossible. No man is perfect like that. If he wasn't perfect, he couldn't have paid for your sins and my sins. And if he wasn't God, he certainly didn't rise from the dead. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then your faith and my faith are totally pointless. But if he did, that's got huge implications. See, the point is, is Jesus is not just another moral teacher with a, along the line of other teachers like Gandhi or Martin Luther. But everything in our faith hinges on what? The resurrection. Everything hinges on that. Jesus being God. And the Apostle Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, if he hasn't, then their preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Critical point. The issue around the resurrection and Jesus as God 
was worthy of a clear statement being made. Because there were different wild theories that were circulating around as to how somebody who had been, one, objectively condemned, you can read that in non-secular sources like Josephus and Tacitus and Pliny, you can read how he was condemned, you can read how he was flogged, crucified and buried. You can read that under tight Jewish, because they hated him because he was claiming to be God, and Roman supervision. They had lots of motive to make sure this guy suffered and died and was buried and that's the end, so they thought. So there were wild theories as to how in the world this guy that plenty of witnesses had seen be crucified and even Roman historians nailed it, if you excuse that, became alive again and hundreds of people have saw him, and next minute, in Jerusalem, there were over 300,000 Christians, and the most of them were Jews, overturning all of this Mosaic law for thousands of years. Something happened. So there were wild theories floating around. One of them, and you should know this, how many of you have heard, put your hand up if you heard this, about the swoon theory? Can you see any of your hands? Okay, if you haven't heard about that theory, you need to read up on that and so you can answer that for your kids because they're going to hear about that and your grandkids. The swoon theory, I'll just give you a brief overview, was that Jesus, when he was on the cross, he really didn't die. Some in those days were contending that, well, you know, these experts in crucifixion, the Romans somehow made a mistake with Jesus and they really didn't finish him off. Even though his death warrant form had to be signed by four Roman officials. He kind of just became unconscious, was the theory. And then when they took him off the cross, they wrapped him in a hundred pounds of spices and cloth, which was customary in the day, because when you buried something in the tomb, and then you put a whacking groat stone in front of him, somehow, amazingly, the tomb, the corners of the tomb resuscitated and came back to life. And in that blood-lost, resuscitated state, he was somehow able to move this enormous stone away with the guards there. Remember, he'd been whipped and hung on the cross. An escape. I'm not making that up. You read it. Now, no serious historian today would even believe that, even secular one. It's called a swim theory. So anyway, things like that were floating around. So what they did, the, the Council of Nicaea met in the year 325. In what year? 325. In what year? Okay, so when somebody tells you that, you'll remember this number, 325. Remember 3 and 2? 3 plus 2 is 5. Just to help you remember, 325. So they, were, they met in 325, and today we have the Nicene Creed. Now some of you in this church will have grown up in the Catholic background, or an Orthodox background, Greek Orthodox, or even perhaps a Protestant or an Anglican background. And it's read widely, this creed, often weekly to this day. And it serves the whole Christian community worldwide as a summary of what we believe. So this is a real tight summary of this. And if some of you are here this weekend thinking, jeepers, first time I've been to church, and I came on a history weekend. 
I actually think you've chosen a brilliant Sunday to check God out. Because you're going to get a whole summary of everything these Christians believe. And this is what believers and followers of Jesus take on board. Here it is. Like we did last week, though, I want you to help me out just for the first part. I want us to read it aloud together. So let's read this together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. On the third day, excuse me, for our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will, in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have, we believe in the, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the, and the, Amen. Wow, that is an entire seminary education right there. And as I was thinking, how do I summarize that in the short time I have today? Well, I came up with three key words, and I want to connect this to, guess what those three key words words are? Any ideas? Big, deep, and wide. You guys are brilliant. (laughs) Who needs seminary, right? <laughs> Let's come to church. Okay, next to the word big, I want you to write the word we. The first word in the Nicene Creed. Last week, in the Apostles' Creed, you'll notice that all of those statements began with the word I. Last week, I in the Apostles. This one, the Nicene Creed, starts with the word We. Now, we believe. The church fathers here are making a very strong statement. It's not simply what they individually knew to be true. They're speaking on the behalf of all of those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. We're standing together effectively. We're linked arm in arm. They're saying... It's not about me, it's about we. How big? We. How big's the we? Right now, about 2.3 billion Christians. That's big. That's a big we. And it represents the legacy of men and women of faith 
who have come before us and are linked together with us on what they believe. By the way, none of those 2.3 billion would even be here as Christians if there hadn't been an unbroken chain and deep roots of faith. They held on. That's why you and I are here. That's how we've got to hear about this. The Bible says it like this, Romans 12. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to each other. Or excuse me, all the others. So the point is your faith is one link in a long and powerful chain of believers that the Bible refers to as the body of Christ. Your one link and my one link may be ineffective on themselves, and that's very strong words, especially if we're not connected to one another. We need to be connected. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is not about I, it's about we. We is a word that unifies. I is a word that creates individualism and isolation. Now don't get me wrong on this. Being a follower of Jesus is very personal, but it is not done in isolation of other people. So occasionally, from time to time, I'll hear this sentiment, well, my faith is very private to me. But when I think about that, I think, how sad is that? Because you don't really understand what the body of Christ is. You are to live out your faith in the context of we. And when you grasp it, it will change how you live your life and what you do with your time. Less individualistic, more with the body of Christ. Now let's make this very practical. At the bottom of your notes there, it says big, we, uh, big deep, and wide. And I'm going to write some action steps along with each one of these. So next to big, here's the action I want to challenge you with. Get connected. Get connected. God wants you to get connected with other followers of Jesus Christ. And it might start as a very easy step. Getting together and with a coffee with people that you sit next to. Here, even in church. That's what I'm talking about. Hang out. Picnic, whatever that may be, according to your family age, size, and stage. And that's what I'm asking you to hear, is when you come here, that you get connected and celebrate the fact that that person is part of the we. Now, it's a privilege to be part of the we. It's a privilege to be part of a small group, to join in life together. It doesn't matter if you're single, it's immaterial. You can do life together, and I'm talking about being the church with one another, getting connected, doing life together. That's what we do. That's a part of the we. So the big we, get connected is the action. Next to the word deep, I want you to write the word three. Big we, deep three. Big we, deep three. What's deep about this creed? Let's go back and look at it. Big we, deep three. It's the explanation that God is three persons. God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one being. Now the Nicene Creed uses very exact language, precise language, to make it clear that Jesus and the Holy Spirit were not created by God. They were both there from eternity. The Trinity simply means triunity, that there's three persons of the same essence and one being, and that's deep. The doctrine of the Trinity is based on two biblical teachings. 
There is one and only one God. But there are three distinct persons who are called God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hence the Trinity. Each person has a mind. God has a mind. Jesus has a mind. The Holy Spirit has a mind. Each person can choose. Each person has feelings. Jesus, as God in the flesh, was 100% human and 100% God. I'll tell you how we get to that. That's called the incarnation. So God wrapped himself in flesh and became human in Jesus. God became one of us to save us. Jesus at no time ceased being God when he became man. This is how it happened. He's always had the divine nature. He just added to the divine nature, human nature. So he had two natures. And that's, theologians call it the, the um, hypostatic union. So, John 1 says this. But although the world was made through him, that's Jesus. The world didn't recognize him when he came. That's Jesus when he came. So the world was made through Jesus. And the world didn't recognize him when he came. So the word, again, Jesus, became human and lived on earth among us. Verse 10 says, the world was made through him. Sometimes people have got the misconception that Jesus is kind of like the mini junior of God. That's complete heresy. Speaking of Jesus in John 1, 2, it says, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, not anything made that was made. So Jesus was there from the very beginning. He is not a created being of God. Jesus is God. Again, John 1.1. 1, 1, In the beginning, the word was already existed. He was with God and he was God. This next verse in John 14 teaches us Jesus is speaking and he's actually referring to the triune God. He talks about himself. He talks about God the Father and he talks about God the Holy Spirit. Watch this. And I, Jesus, that's what I'm saying here, will ask the Father, that's God the Father, I, Jesus, will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world at large cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. It hasn't got an interest in the things of God. It's wrapped up in its own desires, own dreams, own aspirations. Another place in the Bible it says friendship with the world is enmity against God. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you do. You do. Because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Whoa, big change here. From outside to inside. So try to get your minds around that. The triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is like a baby trying to understand quantum physics. It's a challenge. The Trinity stretches your mind, and great theologians have pondered this for centuries. For those of you, though, who've taken our foundations course here at New Hope, know it's a deep and rich and critical subject. The clearest way I can say it is this the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all one God, the same in essence. Equal. Equal in power and equal in glory. Yet they're each distinct persons. One God, three persons who are inseparably 
yet distinct. Now, I've told you before, if I could fully understand everything about God, he would be too small to be my God. And there will be no need for faith. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to understand and learn theology. And I'm going to get to this diagram in a second. But when it comes to the Trinity, you may have heard some awful illustrations before. Like, the Trinity is like the three states of water. You know, water, solid, and liquid gas. That is a terrible analogy. It's fatally flawed. Because water is not in all these three states at the same time, but God is always three persons at the same time. A better illustration that retains the unity of God while showing the simultaneous plurality is this triangle here. One triangle has three distinct corners. Remember your math, geometry, A, B, and C. They are individual corners which are inseparable in form and simultaneous to one another. In a sense, this is a good illustration of the Trinity. God is the Father, God is the Spirit, God is the Son. But the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son. Or here's another mathematical, for those of you who are more mathematically bent, a more mathematical illustration. Next slide. It's more like one times one times one equals one. Or one cubed. It is not one plus one plus one. Some of you may be thinking, is it worth caring about? Yes, it is. Let's get back to the root problem if it's not. Because if Jesus was not fully God, then you would not have the capacity to save you and me from our sins. It is critical. God came to earth as Jesus to do for us what we could not ever do for ourselves. This is why it's deep. And important, because it's the truth of the Trinity, which means that you and I are never outside God's presence. And that's big. Listen, we're never outside God's presence. So when I accept what the God-man, Jesus Christ, has done on that cross, and I pray to God the Father for the forgiveness of my sins, and then he sends the Holy Spirit to empower me to live for him, I'm never outside God's presence. The Bible says it like this in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Don't you know... That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who now lives within you. This is the new covenant. Under the old covenant, guys, what used to happen is the Spirit of God would come down, for example, a prophet. And then you'd prophesy for that particular moment in time. And then the Spirit of God would come off him. And when the Spirit of God came on, for example, you read it. The Spirit of God came on to Samson. He'd do his mighty exploits. And then the Spirit of God would depart from him. That's how it happened all the way through the Old Covenant. On the New Covenant, new day, right here. From that moment forward, the Spirit no longer dwells in buildings or comes on and off people. He lives within you. And he will never leave you or forsake you. If anybody has got, not got the Spirit of Christ living within him, he's none of his. So now the Spirit of God lives in men, not in buildings. So here's the action I want you to take. Next to the word deep three, put recognize his presence. If you can do that and nothing else, this will change your life. Recognize his presence. That he is always with you because he is in you and that will change everything. God, you don't have to feel close to God just because you sit at church and, and although you'll 
often sense that through worship and through his word, but you can talk to him in the car when you're driving along the road. If I recognize that God is always with me, it will change everything. It will change the things I watch. It'll change what the conversations I have. It's going to take away the gossip. Because you're very conscious of him being there. Remember how it was at school? You could da-da-da-da-da, you'd talk around, and next minute you sense something's changing, and there's because the presence of a teacher in the room, right? <laughs> Things change. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's with you all the time. It'll change how you treat people. How my integrity is lived out. It'll change how you deal with temptation. And it'll change if I'm quick to gossip. Because you know he's not some distant guy. He's close. We're going to come back to that at the very end. And there's a very important action I want you to take at the end on that one. So you recognize his presence. God is with you right now. He's never far off. And that truth alone will change the way you have disputes, disagreements. There'll be a sense of greater self-control. So there's another element I want you to get. I've used the word wide. Next to the word ride, I want you to write down his love for me. So big we, deep three, wide his love for me. Big we, deep three, wide his love for me. That's his love. It's wide enough that it can never run from it. And it includes everybody. Everybody. Even those who don't believe in him. Why did God come to earth as Jesus? Because he loves sinners. God didn't do this for his own sake. But for the sake of our salvation. So that we can be connected to him. John 3.16 is the most famous verse in the Bible. What does it say? Did you hear that, guys, online? This church knows what's in John 3.16. Here's a question. What is John 3.17? The very next verse. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge this world, but that the world should be saved through him. He did not come to condemn it. Now I realize that we read through the Nicene Creed here very quickly, but I encourage you to reread it in your own time. God being both God and man incarnate screams out, I love you. He didn't have to leave heaven, but he condescended to come to earth for us. Jesus' death, his life and resurrection was all literal love on display. Why the God-man? Because only the God-man can bridge the gap between God and man. So what does that mean today? Where you live, at your work tomorrow, what about in your families? What does it mean? Quickly summarized, it means this. God loves sinners. You can see that from this creed. Second, that God loves you and me. He even loves, this is hard for some of you to believe and stomach, but he even loves Donald and Jacinta. He does. He does. Ooh, stir, stir. 
And God wants to forgive your sin and connect with you. He wants to take imperfect people like you and I and make a way to to be connected to a perfect and holy God. And it means that he wants to come in your life and fill you with his spirit. Because when you have God's presence, you'll have his power. And here's what we're saying. Summarizing it. The big, that's about we. The deep, it's about God's presence. And the wide, it's about God's love. So here's a thought that I want you to write down. God's love plus God's presence equals a full life. God's love plus God's presence is a full life. And we're here today, some of us online, part of that body of Christ. We can have a full life. This is what the Bible says in Ephesians 3. And you may know and have the power to understand, as all of God's people should how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love really is. That you may experience the love of Christ, though it is so great, you'll never fully understand it. You'll catch a glimpse and it'll melt your heart. Then you'll be filled with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. You may want to underline that fullness of life. Because many people today that you know of are looking for fullness of life in many other things. And friends, they will ultimately be disappointed. It comes from God. Who doesn't want fullness of life? Everybody wants. That's what people are scrambling for. That's what people are working so hard for and experimenting with different things. Because they're after this fullness of life. Jesus offers that. And then once you experience, here's the action step. Share his love. God's love isn't just to comfort you and me. It's also a model to follow. He took the initiative. So here's my question. Are you sharing his love? Based on that question alone, just that one question, are you sharing his love? How did you do last week with your family? How did you love your friends and your co-workers in the marketplace? Woo, there's a challenge. The people that you ran into. How about that guy in the coffee shop who wanted, you know, in front of you in the line, you wanted 12 different ingredients in his coffee and was holding the whole line up so you're late. My friends, the Nicene Creed isn't just an uh, an abstract set of doctrine just for the brain to believe. The truth of this creed is really a summary of God's word. And here's what it should do. It should trigger a response of gratefulness and worship. It's used in worship services all around the world. So when you read that creed, I encourage you to do this on your own this week. It should trigger that sense of worship. But let's face it. Right now, I mean, there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in the world, though, that just doesn't matter. For example, you know, right now, in Europe somewhere, it's probably raining. So what? Who cares? But the truth that the Nicene Creed contains does matter. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you, don't just come to church and sit and listen and walk away. Every time you hear the word of God, you should say, Lord, what do you want me to do as a result of your word? And there's plenty of scriptures that are there on your outline. That's his words. These aren't my words. But this is one thing you could do, is get connected. 
Some of you finally could get in a small group and commit to the small group regularly. Some of you have been coming here for years, but you're not connecting with other people. And if you are, maybe it's just social. Maybe you need to inject some biblical content in there because that is truth and encourage one another in that. Because you're not just called to belong, you're called to believe. Or maybe for you it's to recognize his presence, to walk out of here going, that makes sense to me, he's now in me. And that will certainly impact the way that I live. Or thirdly, make a commitment to share his love. Do something with the truth. A creed is a statement of beliefs. It just means, a creed means, I believe. And friends, beliefs don't count for much unless we act on them. If you believe the roots of our faith, if you truly believe, let these roots become part of your own system so that your faith will grow and your roots will go down deep and you will be vigorous as we start off in the truth. Let's pray. Father, as we bow our knees and heads and hearts and just our persons and close our eyes to pray, I want to ask you that your spirit would touch our hearts. In the silence of your heart today, maybe you want to make a commitment based on the truth of this creed. Maybe if you're here and you have no faith at all, or you're just investigating Christianity, maybe this is the time for you to say, God, I want to have a relationship with you. If you love sinners like you say, then I want to be loved by you. And I want a relationship with you. So as the best way I understand, I offer my life to you. I ask you to forgive my sins and come into my life and help me to live for you from now till I meet you. Whatever your commitment is, maybe make it now. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for loving us so much that you don't want us to stay the same. You want us to grow and put our roots down deep. That we wouldn't be like that seed that just fell on the hard ground and it sprung up for a little while and then the busyness and the cares of this world choked out our love for you. Father, we want to be productive in your kingdom. Thank you that you are a fountain of love, that you are deep, and that you come into our lives if we ask you to. Thank you that your love is wide and we can never escape it. May the truth of that changes as we pursue that full life that you offer. You promised that you didn't come to steal, kill, and destroy, but you came to give life in all of its fullness. And we pray that we will be different people, challenged and changed as we walk out of here today because we came and participated as part of the we. Thank you, Lord, that we do not live this life of faith in isolation. And all God's people said,